0: Hi, and welcome to the Making the Media podcast. It's great to have you join us. My name is Craig Wilson. There's so much disruption going on in the world of news, broadcasting and journalism at the moment, it can be hard to cut through the noise and assess what are the key trends affecting the industry. My guest in this episode is going to help us identify what's really important for the business right now. Nick Newman was a founding member of the BBC News website. A journalist and later Head of Product Development and Engineering for BBC News, he helped introduce innovations such as apps, blogs, podcasting, ironically enough, and on-demand video. Now he is a Senior Research Associate at the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at Oxford University in the UK, and is the lead author of influential annual reports, including one on journalism, media and technology trends, which was recently published. So who better to talk to and get an assessment of where we are? I began by asking Nick to outline the
1: big ticket items facing the industry right now. One of the, the big preoccupations is is business models. Uh, so obviously we've seen this massive disruption as people move from, from print and traditional broadcast models to, to sort of digital models. So sort of, I think, reshaping that, looking at sort of new innovations there and how the internet is now supporting other models apart from advertising you know it was all based on advertising and and now we're we're moving into all kinds of really interesting subscription you know the talent economy individuals being able to create media and distribute media in new ways so that i mean i think that's that's a really interesting trend which obviously affects traditional media but it also affects you know um uh you know it's opening up a whole new areas for for sort of create creativity formats and storytelling you know i know that's an area that you're particularly interested in has been you know a massive change as we move from you know primarily desktop 10 years ago to sort of mobile and social environments and that that disruption i think media is really sort of struggling with and so you know the report really looks at um how the media is trying to come to terms with that and then finally just the audience challenge you know that that um what we're seeing is this fragmentation of behaviours, so all the people still basically preferring to, to, to use the media they grew up with, whether that's television or print or whatever, and then younger people, particularly the under 25s, behaving completely differently and, and really sort of embracing social cha- channels and, and new social platforms. Yeah, that's a, a really interesting aspect, and in the, the way the
0: stories are being told is changing, and traditional media is struggling with that. So maybe uh, we can talk a little bit about innovation in storytelling. And um, is it the case that, you know, you, there was a theory, of course, you could take a story once and then deliver it to many platforms, but now people want a more tailored experience. Is that still what you see from the report?
1: Yes. I mean, I think so. I think it's sort of a headline level. Um, you have, uh, as I said, a decade ago, people were thinking about, an article and maybe taking, you know, the abstract of that and being able to put that in a social network. Um, but tastes have fragmented to such an extent and platforms have fragmented that um, people now expect stories to be told in completely different ways. So it's not necessary, text is not necessarily the best way of doing it, you know. And, and so all of these formats are just are just exploding. You know, if you look at audio right now. Um, you know, you, you've got not just podcasts, but you've got sort of short form audio. You have um, you have voice new voice devices opening up new ways of telling stories and interacting, and digital video the same. I mean, we had you know massive investment and in, uh, probably about four or five years ago, sort of a pivot to video, and now we're sort of seeing a second pivot to video where video digital video formats again creatively are exploding because of TikTok and Instagram and sort of new. Um, expectations from younger audiences so I think it's never been a more exciting time for for storytelling actually you know huge number of possibilities but as you say traditional media companies really struggle because you know they're they're rooted in what we did before so that, that process of change is so hard for them. Yeah I
0: guess when TikTok emerged I don't think many people would have seen it as a battleground for news but now Instagram, YouTube, TikTok Um, are the battleground, I guess, to get that younger audience that traditional media are struggling to get.
1: Yeah, and it, it's really complicated as well because we did some research last year, which which shows that you know people are not using Instagram, and TikTok for for news. You know, pri- primarily people are there to connect with friends, um, to 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 be entertained. You know, particularly TikTok. You know, is, is this sort of you know just endless stream of 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 um, creativity and um, and fun and laughter and music and all of those things. And that this is not the natural. Playground of of news companies. But I think what's happened, uh, particularly with COVID, particularly with Black Lives Matter in the US, is we've seen uh, those networks really becoming places where issues of concern to young people are discussed. And those are issues of concern to young people in, in different ways. And so you've seen this sort of coming together of news and these new platforms in ways that maybe we didn't expect. So I think this is really ramping up the pressure now for media companies to to think about how they can get, you know, fact-based information across within these networks when people are, are also looking for entertainment. Do you think that
0: also raises issues around diversity and perhaps inclusion, but that younger audience is actually interested in a different agenda than the agenda that the older, audience, the older audience is interested in.
1: Certainly. I mean, they're interested in some of the same things, but they're also interested in in different kinds of subjects as well. And, you know, this is one of the, another of the challenges for traditional media companies is, you know, how do you, how do you break away from that traditional sort of political agenda that quite often turns young people off? And how do you, you know, uh, talk about identity politics or um or race in ways that are authentic and relate to people and provide value um so i think you know this this is diversity inclusion has been a massive issue within media companies and with society at large and i think the the sort of the way in which those things are just naturally now being discussed in these in these social networks is putting a new sort of pressure to really address these issues much more directly and head-on Now, one success that
0: we've seen here in the UK is the work a journalist called Ross Atkins has done um, for the BBC, Now, for those who don't know about his work, Um, perhaps you could sum it up, the type of approach he takes, because he takes complex subjects and distills it down. He doesn't dumb it down, um, but he just tells it very straight.
1: Yes. I mean, I I think if you look at digital video, a lot of the digital video that worked in the past was stuff that got people angry you know the the sort of Facebook algorithms you know uh so sort of political polemic that kind of stuff and I think what's new about this sort of second pivot to video if you like is we're seeing the sort of growth of fact-based evidence-based explainer formats um that are I I think they're also about smart brevity they're about how do you you know understand something but really quickly and I think what Ros Atkins has been doing at the BBC with his um Uh, his former Ros Atkins on which is sort of about sort of seven to ten minutes taking one issue and really explaining it is how do you do that in a way that doesn't take sides but still explains an issue and gives people that sense of being smart at the end of it and and having something to pass on so I think that's essentially what it's about it's hugely successful so some of the uh, explainers he did on Boris Johnson you know were hard-hitting people call this assertive impartiality um, but they also really were engaging uh, to, to watch. And they got something like, uh, you know, 11 million views for, you know, two or three of the first videos on Partygate, which is, you know, more than, way more than than, than, a, than a watching, you know, uh, 24-hour news uh, television. This is just a single podcast and, critically for the BBC, reaching... A different demographic so reaching some of those uh, younger younger users so and i think you, you you've really seen lots of people taking that format and trying to trying to do versions of it i mean in many ways it's not unlike um daily news podcasts same idea which was a hit a few years ago something like the daily from the new york times you know again how do you explain an issue but make it entertaining using narrative Uh, storytelling techniques and again that's been another very successful format which is really sort of engaging different Audiences and particularly younger ones. One um, aspect that we see just
0: now, and you mentioned at the start, is the changing business model and the way that companies are trying to attract revenue. Now, an element of that, of course, is subscription. I don't know if this was something um, that you came across, but as well as using subscription as a source of revenue, um, are businesses also looking to use subscription as a way of changing, you know, their own business model, moving their investments away perhaps from CapEx to more OPEX expenditure?
1: I I'm not sure I, I probably don't know enough about that but I think you know subscription for uh, for media companies is partly about sort of leaning into uh, the way in which people want to um, consume things nowadays. so it's not necessarily buying um, uh, and owning everything. it's about you know, essentially you sort of renting this service and having a relationship. So it actually changes the nature of what the media company is about. You have to be much more focused on delivering value and delivering distinctiveness in that environment. So subscription is definitely changing uh, media. And I think it's probably also changing the relationship with partners as well and advertisers, because what, what you're really trying to do is meld different business models. So, you know, there are many media organizations where they're subscription or membership who are also trying to, you know, put together that really informed group of, of audiences that you know a lot about with advertisers. So this is not really a replacement. It's kind of, it's an additional layer. And what many media companies are trying to do is sort of build that resilience through sort of two, three, four different business models, subscription events, advertising, um, you know, funding from often from foundations or third parties for particular types of content. So, so it's a much more complex, like everything else, <laughs> media is becoming more complex on the business model side as well as on the, the audience side.
0: What do you think that business model side means for innovation in storytelling? Are companies really able to invest to make those kind of changes they need to make to ensure they have a future business?
1: Well, they they know they need to invest, they need to invest in technology. But, you know, I think it's fair to say that media companies haven't been great on the R&D side um, uh, recently, and that's partly because of the pressures of funding. I mean, if you think about what's happened over the last 10, 20 years, you know, this incredibly profitable business model that allowed them to invest in R&D has kind of disappeared, particularly for print print organisations. And we're seeing, you know, broadcast models also coming under huge strain. So the money hasn't been there for investment, um, but they know they have to. Um, And so I think, you know, part of the response of that is is things like sort of, uh, scale in an m a that's why we're seeing a lot of an now so you have sort of big companies you can really leverage an investment across multiple properties so i think that's one of the implications but then you also have i think um you know the ability to create whole new innovative media companies with very low cost as well, which is why you're seeing niche companies doing so well. Again, often off subscription models or advertising models, because, you know, you can you can suddenly, you know, find an audience very specifically with a low, low, low cost model, and you don't need to invest a lot in technology because this is much more commoditized and uh, available at a reasonable price. So, yeah, it's, it's again, it's, it's kind of a complex picture, but I think you've got sort of scale at one end, niche at the other end, and in the middle, it's a bit harder. What about things like AI? How are people looking to take advantage of that? AI is something that um, media companies have been investing in in different ways. And the big ones we just talked about have been investing quite heavily in a range of ways of using it. So first of all, you know, Allowing journalists to find stories and patterns in huge data sets for it, for for big sort of investigations. You've seen that uh, in examples with the Guardian and others using using AI for that. Um, the second area is is around commercial. So you know using AI to identify. Uh, potential subscribers for example using big data sets again and show them particular messages and maybe change those messages so some of that is about AI. thirdly the whole sort of packaging of uh, of journalism so um, huge potential to make the process much more efficient uh, and to allow journalists to do more journalistic things so things like automatic transcription automatic summarization, uh, automatic translation you know enabling one uh, media asset to be used, multiple times across languages for example and making that process easier and more efficient that's opening up many more possibilities and then finally sort of distribution and you know essentially trying to create more personalized experiences within apps oh and one more i think is is probably the um uh, robo journalism and actually writing stories or creating or semi creating automating different kinds of journalism which i think is uh, you know a, a very interesting area
0: yeah, this was something I was going to ask about, which is this use of, you know, what you call robo-journalism. Is it seen in some, b- some places as a threat to the role of the journalist? But does that really come down to how the AI model itself is built?
1: Yeah, and I think I think it's also, um, it's often sort of, it's journalist against machine, which one's going to win, is often the narrative. But really what we're talking about is, can you use technology to, um, for example, to create sort of narrative stories based on data where the journalist doesn't need to be involved or maybe just in a slight oversight way to, to check that, that it's as it should be, to check the models working correctly, to allow, you know, obviously financial publications are using this a lot. And that allows the journalistic resource to do more sensible journalistic things. They always hated writing the company reports from data, right? And so so this allows them to do something much more added value. But I mean, a good example is something like the BBC is um, taking uh, constituency results from elections, and it did this in 2019, and essentially using AI models to write narrative stories, which are then checked by a journalist. Um, And they can do that as the election results change. So, you know, within 10 minutes, they can write 400 stories. You could never do that with you know, you couldn't scale the journalism for that, but you could have a few journalists just checking those things. And we're going to see many more of those kind of examples, I think. So it's not a replacement. It's kind of an addition, I think. You see it with video as well. So increasingly, you know, there are software tools that allow you to do the first rough cut edit from a whole range of of, of, um, materials. And then the journalist goes in and does the, the polishing and it just saves a lot of time and effort. You mentioned about mergers and
0: acquisitions, which, of course, has been ongoing for a while now. That, of course, gives companies scale. Um, But with that kind of scale, is also the cloud a way that they're trying to take advantage of that and perhaps expand their editorial base? Because, you know, people can connect from anywhere. And perhaps we could also talk a little bit about hybrid working as well. Um, I'm interested in how you think the
1: cloud can be used from a technological basis. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to run technology for for BBC News in the early days around digital and um, uh, some of the technology. And, um, you know, then we've just tried to control every, everything and we were sort of building these servers and, and we just didn't have enough space as we sort of built those things out. And then we kind of moved to the cloud in, in various aspects of what, what we did. And obviously, COVID's been a real, and and within companies, you've had all these concerns about security, etc. But I think COVID was a huge game changer, because it forced people to think differently. The world didn't fall in as, you know, whole television programs were presented from people's homes. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think uh, routinely now, you see uh, interviews done on, on Apple FaceTime or or, or zoom on national television often to a really detrimental uh effect in terms of quality and, and, and radio but obviously that's going to get better so I, th- I think COVID sort of really has accelerated that move to the cloud and really it's a question of um as you say if you're looking for scale and the ability to operate sort of technology infrastructures across multiple properties then that sort of flexibility of the cloud plus you know apis into common systems that allow you to really uh, leverage technology and focus on the journalism and the audiences is is, is really the heart of where many media companies want to get to.
0: So let's talk then about hybrid, hybrid working, Nick. So the vast majority of people, of course, went to work from home. Uh, there is now the return to the office to varying degrees, depending, of course, um, on local circumstances. But there is now, I think, an acceptance that, you know, hybrid working is, is here to say. So I wonder what you think that means for the way newsrooms are run. You know, staff well-being perhaps has a higher profile now um, because you're not seeing
1: people in person as often. How do you think companies are trying to address this? Yeah, we, we did a report on this last November, um, which was obviously still, you know, j- just as the next wave was was getting going. And media companies were really sort of thinking about those issues. You know, what was going to happen when we when we move from this period of enforced working to hybrid working? And obviously that's been put off now. And uh, you know, I think around now actually is, is when many media companies are sort of resetting and have, in some cases, renegotiated with uh with staff. Uh, contracts. So, so, I mean, again, like um, like many other things, COVID has been a game changer here. Uh, some local media companies, for example, like Reach uh, and Archent in the UK, sort of really big regional publishers, they've closed something like seventy five percent of their offices, um, and they're really rethinking what the remaining offices are going to be for. So, they will be for collaboration, creativity, training. They're not necessarily anymore the places where people do the work because people are going to do their work from lots of other places um, and sometimes in the office. And, and we see this all over the media industry, um, that sort of rethinking of, um, I mean, the real loss that people told us was around uh, connection with the company and the company culture and collaboration and communication. And, and I think that's the thing that people are worried about, you know, that, that, that in this sort of intervening period, People have done their work quite efficiently, but actually they've lost that connection. And so the next few months are about how to do that. And, and as you say, that goes back to you know staff well-being, mental health, finding ways to to get people um, you know experiencing and valuing each other as colleagues rather than just as sort of uh, machines who are producing producing copy. And I think nobody's got the answer to those things except for you know let's have team days on the same day, let's 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 organise some creativity and face to face time. And let's have some new rules around this, because currently, um, you know, there are no rules and we don't know what the rules are. You know, everything's up in the air. So let's create some new rules that create some structures that allow us to have that connection again, as well as the efficiency. Is this also putting pressure on the companies to look at the
0: technology they're using to make the experience the same, regardless of where you're connecting from, looking at the use of mobile, web-based tools, things like that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think, again, that's changed a lot. During the crisis, you know, people have people who never knew anything about mirror boards or, you know, there's, there's all kinds of sort of collaboration now that people are doing and mixing of tools. So it, literacy and these things have changed, but it's also not the same. So I, I did a sort of creative brainstorming sort of research project that I was doing face to face a couple of weeks ago and it was just amazing to be in a room you know the level of the different level of communication you got but but obviously you know technology is going to move on um, you know both the sound the video the ability to to make presence felt in some of the um, some of the the, the online um, video communication tools better all of that is going to improve um, but I don't think as quickly as people need it to. So it's definitely a combination, isn't it? It's, 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 a, it's a mix, and it's never as good if you've got a hybrid meeting where some people are in the room and some people aren't, but we can make that better with technology.
0: Yeah, one area I wanted to explore a little bit was self-publishing. You know, if I wanted to, um, you know, I could go out, I could shoot something, create something, upload it, um, publish it perhaps to YouTube, You know, that really is a way that's completely different to the sort of business model of traditional media. So I'm assuming that in the report, you still see that as continuing to grow and expand. And again, something else that poses a threat to that traditional model of the broadcaster.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, just take Joe Rogan, uh, who is obviously in the news right now, controversial figure, um, essentially uh, using these new distribution channels, uh, originally YouTube and now Bought by Spotify, and I think that's interesting in a number of different ways. A, again, it shows the power of original content that engages to create, you know, huge amounts of engagement in digital platforms. Um, but it also illustrates how even Joe Rogan, um, you know, needs those that relationship with um, with with a platform uh, such as Spotify. To um, to be able to commercialise that really effectively, and um, and 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 to um, really build that audience over time. So I think this is kind of a it's it's a complicated one because on the one hand we're now seeing the possibility for anybody to create businesses, but most of those people, whether they're podcasters, email newsletter providers, or um, video providers, don't make much money. It's just a few people at the top. Um, And most of the attention goes to those people and to mainstream media organizations who are also using the same channels. So it's not like in many ways, it's not a democratization. It's, you know, you still have this sort of huge gap between the top and the bottom. But I think the difference really is in the niche. I think that's where, you know, it is possible now to build businesses and make connections in an unshowy way and make money Uh, you know, if you get away from the mass audience thing. And I I think that's a really interesting change. There's also information in the report about local organisations who
0: are coming in with a very low-cost model, but they're able to build an audience. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of the most interesting things I think right now is, you know, um, if you take take newsletters, a really old technology, um, which has sort of had a a complete rebirth because there's a business model behind it now because, uh, you know, platforms like Substack make it really easy to subscribe, relatively low cost, um, and for anyone to create this really powerful sort of package of news that is curated and that goes into people's email boxes. Uh, so there's this company in the north of England who've set up three small slow news journalism um, uh Uh, Substack newsletters effectively Um, there is a website behind them and 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 they're charging a very small fee for them and they're really you know starting to see a different kind of model where you can build connections and you know good quality journalism um, with a very low cost model based on subscription and events and some other things they're kind of thinking about and in in the US Axios is is going is taking its smart brevity newsletter-led model and trying to get into every community in America. So it's starting, I think, with 100 this year, but its ambition is much bigger. So it thinks it can scale that and fill that democratic deficit by essentially low-cost newsletter models, Um, and I think it's a really interesting experiment. Yeah, I saw someone say
0: that the greatest comeback in the last couple of years was the QR code, which is a technology which I think some felt uh, perhaps had had their time.
1: Yeah, well, newsletters, QR codes, and um, and podcasts, of course, which is you know like uh, goes back to whenever it does to two thousand and four or something. Yeah, and here we are on a podcast. Here we are on a podcast,
0: uh, Nick. It's been really interesting to talk to you. Now there is one question I ask everyone in the podcast, so I will ask it to you. What is it, if anything, that keeps you awake at night?
1: Oh, keeps me awake. Um, I, I mean, I th- I think right now it has to be. Um, it has to be the state of democracy and what media is doing to democracy and what information is doing to democracy. Um, and, you know, obviously the rise of not just, you know, straight misinformation, but actually, um, the, uh, the sort of alienation and distrust of, of traditional media, the way people sort of, uh, take sides on one on, on one side of a story or the other side of a story. Um, and, that makes it really hard, I think, for media to operate and to talk about things without being seen as, you know, part of the problem. And I think that that that's the thing that worries me is, you know, how does journalism really stand out from the mass of information on the internet? How does it show that it has uh, values um, and value to to audiences? Uh, and I think that's got really muddled in the last 10 years or so and i think we need to find some way to reset that effectively uh, in combination with platforms in combination with governments etc
0: really interesting thoughts there from nick not just on the technology and trends but also on the wider aspect of trust in journalism lots and lots to mull over let me know what you think As always, I am on Twitter and Instagram. My username is CraigAW1969 or email us, we are makingthemedia at avid.com. If you want to find out more about some of what we discussed, why not check out the show notes? There, you can find links to another podcast where we discuss innovation and storytelling on social platforms. And you can also discover a webinar series on how Avid is enabling workflows in the cloud. Now, if you like what you heard today, why not spread the word about the Making the Media podcast? Like, leave a review and subscribe to get notified when the next episode is released. And please share with your friends and colleagues. Let's keep building the Making the Media community. Well, that's all for me for now. Thanks to our producer, Matt Diggs. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. Join me, Craig Wilson, next time for more on the people making the media.